0: Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Hey, for those of you who are new today at Crosspoint, you're amazing because <laughs> it's like cold out there. Um, and for the rest of us who uh, came, thanks for coming. Uh, well done. I thought maybe it would be like 20 people show up, and so I was had in my mind I'd get out a few twister boards, and you know, we'd mix things up just a little bit, do something a little bit different this morning, just to stay warm, but I guess if we don't get to play twister, that's too bad. Uh, hey, we are in a teaching series, uh, the last week, the fourth week of a teaching series called uh Bodybuilding. And uh, this is a series about spiritual fitness, and the spiritual fitness of the body of Christ, of God's people together in community. And of course, most of us care about our bodies, but what we've been discovering over the last three weeks is that God cares about His body, the church, the people of God, so much more. And so we've been walking through, what does that mean for us to be a spiritually fit community under God, under Christ? Uh, so this is our final week, and today I, I want to be talking about building together as God's people in service, building together in service. So if you have a bulletin, there's notes there you can follow along in, but I, I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, bring, pull out the Bible, or if you have a, a digital version of the Bible, pull that out as well and, and track along. Uh, we're going to be looking at one particular text this morning, it's from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, and uh before I dive into that, let me just give you a little bit of background on Ephesians. I did talk about this a few, a few weeks ago about Ephesians, but uh, Ephesians is essentially it's a letter that was written by a man whose name was the Apostle Paul, and he was the Apostle to the Gentiles. He was the Apostle to uh, that God had sent out to reach the non-Jewish people, and he went about through uh, the region of um, Asia Minor, uh, the Roman Empire. Planting churches and talking about the the kingdom and proclaiming the good news about Jesus. And so, as he went, he planted a number of churches. And one of the churches he planted was a church that was in Ephesus. And it was a church he was close to. He had a good relationship with them. He stayed there for a number of different years. And uh, after he had left Ephesus, he went on planting churches in other parts of the world. And uh, he wrote back to the church in Ephesus because he had heard. Uh, that they were having some difficulties. And and Paul had this letter-writing ministry where he would write letters back to these uh, churches that he had established or that he had visited, and this was no exception. Now, the church in Ephesus had one particular issue that they were facing. They had a number of issues, but one of the issues that they were facing was division. There was a bit of a divide within the church uh, between, uh, along ethnic and religious lines between uh, Jewish people and non-Jewish people and Gentiles. So Paul's writing this letter to help bring about unity in the church. And he's trying to remind the people of who they are collectively. And he's trying to reinforce to them how they can move towards unity together. And so that kind of gives you a bit of a landscape of what we're going to look at today as we read the text. I'm going to read the text. I encourage you to follow along as I read it. And we're going to look at it together. So um, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7. So Paul's writing says, but to each one of us, each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So Paul's quoting uh, Psalm 68 here as an example. And what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So... tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Now from him, the whole body, the whole body joined together and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up In love, as each part does its work. This is the word of God. Can we pray together? Father, thank you uh, that you have something to say to us through your word today. Um, Thank you that uh, nothing in this life is an accident, and you've brought us here today for this moment. And I ask, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us, you teach us, in whatever way we need to hear it this morning, Lord thanks that you are very involved in the details of our lives. And so, Lord, take your word and uh, pierce our hearts, nudge us, encourage us, build us up, and we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, um, I wonder if you know, and a number of you may know this, but there is a slang term, a slang term in the English language that has been growing in popularity in about the last five years. Uh, this slang term is adulting. Have you heard that term? You heard adulting before? Okay. Uh, so essentially what we've done is we've taken the noun in the English language, the noun adult, and we've turned it into a verb. Okay. So uh, we'll say things like, hey, it's, it's time for me to adult today. All right? Or we'll say things like, I don't really feel like adulting today, okay? So it's, it's a verb form of being mature. And it's interesting is this the term has been used so much in, in, in different forms, in different places, that it's actually now begun to be adopted into the dictionaries as an actual verb. Um, now, today's text that we're going to be looking at is all about adulting. It's all about growing in maturity... As God's people not not as individuals but together in community see here's the thing friends Christ wants the church to adult we must adult and and he wants us to leave the nursery and sleep in our big boy beds he wants us to to say goodbye to our sippy cups and our pablum to say goodbye to our favorite blankie and maybe our favorite stuffy Jesus is saying in the text this morning that it's time for us to dress ourselves, to tie our shoes, to become responsible. It's time for us, Jesus is saying in the text today, to adult. And that's what I want to talk about today. What does it mean for the people of God to adult? Now, uh, Paul seems to be saying uh, that spiritual maturity is a lot like physical maturity. See, physically, we were never designed to stay as infants. Uh, we have it built into our DNA. It's wired right into us. We were meant physically as human beings to grow up, to, to expand, to mature. And in the same way, he's saying that the, the church was never meant to stay in spiritual infancy. We were meant to grow. We were meant to mature. Or as Paul says it, he says, we were meant to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So that begs the question, what then does it mean to be spiritually mature as the people of God? Well, you'll notice that in verse 13 that Paul says that maturity is this. He says maturity is attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Maturity means becoming like Jesus in every way. We become a people who live in Jesus and who allows Jesus to live in us as we surrender our lives under him who is the head of his body. Now, it's, it's interesting. Paul gets, gets really, really specific in pointing, kind of pointing out the differences between infancy and, and maturity. Uh, so I actually want to throw those up. I, I've put a slide together that uh, kind of tracks some of those differences. And why don't we throw that slide up, and, and we'll look at it. So, um, and, and what you'll notice is that uh, this, this difference that he points out uh, is in, in how we think, it's in what we love, and ultimately, it's in how we live. So, uh, infancy means we're, we're in futile thinking. We have this darkened understanding. Uh, maturity means that we have a new mind. Infancy means, you know, in terms of knowledge, we're easily deceived. We're naive. We're following every wind of teaching. But maturity means we have unified faith and knowledge in the Son of God. Infancy means... We're still living in our old attitudes, our old loves, evil desires, and corruption. But maturity means we have a new attitude, new loves, righteousness, and holiness. Infancy means selfish lifestyle. Maturity means selfless service. Two very different uh, states of being for a church uh, and for, for believers in Christ. Jesus is maturing his body. He has given us new minds that he wants to fill with the knowledge of the Son of God. He's given us new attitudes, new affections, with new loves. And he's also giving us a new way of living, a new way of walking in selfless service to each other. We must adult. We must adult. Now, as it turns out, uh, each of us actually has a part to play in this maturing process. So it's not something that just kind of happens automatically. Uh, It takes work. It takes energy. It takes participation, So the question then is, what does that look like? What does it look like for us to participate with Jesus in what it means to be the mature body of Christ? Well, I want to talk about that, and I want to draw our attention to the text and go a little bit deeper this morning. And what we're going to discover together is there are two ways that maturity happens. Two ways. Here's the first way. Maturity happens through service. Maturity happens through service. If you look in verse 12, Paul says that Jesus wants to equip his people for works of service. In fact, Jesus has given us spiritual gifts. Each and every one of us is uniquely designed. And he's given each of us special abilities, skills, giftings. But he did not give those to you just for your sake. The reason why he gives us spiritual gifts is so that the body of Christ might be built up. The body of Christ, the people of God is built up through service. This ultimately is how we mature together. So uh, then in verse 16, you'll notice that Paul says that the body of Christ builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So as we serve each other in love, ultimately what happens is, is this leads to maturity of the whole body of Christ. Now, this might seem a little counterintuitive to us, Because if you've been part of the church for the past 400 years, you probably believe that maturity happens primarily by gaining knowledge. And you know what? If you are great great grandchildren of the Reformation and the Enlightenment, naturally this is what you're going to think maturity comes through knowledge acquisition, it comes by reading books, it comes by listening to podcasts. It comes by watching sermons. This is how we grow toward maturity. Now, it's not that knowledge isn't important or knowledge doesn't matter. You know, we read in the text that even Paul says, right, that we need to grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. So knowledge is important. It's just that knowledge is not enough. Because here's the thing. It's, it's not what you know. Ultimately, it's, it's what you do with what you know. Because this is what we know about Jesus. Jesus was a servant. Philippians 2.7, it says that Jesus left heaven, he came to earth, he lived among us, and he lived among us, born as a man, and he took on the very nature of a what? Of a servant. On the night before his betrayal, I mean, Jesus, at the Last Supper, Jesus dressed up like a common servant, and he went around, and he washed each one of his disciples' feet. And he did this to, to prove a point, to show them a very important lesson. What was that lesson? Well, let me just read it. John chapter thirteen. Here's what it says. Jesus, these are the words of Jesus. He says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So even though that Jesus was, was the, like the greatest person in the room, right? The greatest person on the planet, he still washed his disciples' feet. And he says, just as I'm a servant, so you, my people, my disciples, you must also be servants. And, and you know, if you read through the Gospels, this, this is a story, that, a lesson that Jesus reinforced to his disciples again and again. In Jesus' upside-down kingdom, those who want to be the greatest, he says, must be the least. Will will end up being the least. And those who want to be the least will end up being the greatest. See, the greatest in the kingdom ultimately is those who want to serve and those who will serve. The fastest way to the throne room is always through the servant's entrance. That's how his upside down kingdom works. So, this is why Jesus is ultimately called the servant of servants, he's the greatest of all servants. Nobody ever gave up as much as Jesus did in order to serve other people. Nobody descended from heaven to the lower earthly regions, as Paul says this morning, right? Jesus is the servant of servants, and he leads a kingdom of servants. So, a mature church is a church full of servants. Those who walk in humility towards each other those who sacrifice and love, who who aren't afraid to get their hands dirty, who aren't above any tasks, who will do whatever it takes to help somebody in need. This is the people that he wants to build us into becoming. This is what attaining to the full, whole measure of the fullness of Christ looks like. When kids grow up, they look like their parents, and ultimately, when we, the body of Christ, the people of God, grow up, we will look like Jesus, the servant of servants. Now, I, I've noticed in, in my limited experience being in ministry um, is that there are, there are some natural enemies towards service uh, in, in, that we can experience. These are, I would call them the three isms that lead to the arrested development of the church. These isms keep us from growing up. Uh, so I'm just going to walk through those really quickly this morning. Um, here's the first ism. Number one is slacktivism, okay? Slacktivism. Now, you've, you've maybe heard this term before. I didn't come up with it. It's not unique with me. But slacktivism combines two words, slacker and activism. And it's a term that's described a, a low-cost, low-commitment version of activism. So it's used to describe people who might go online and might support causes that they appreciate by giving likes, right, or maybe some retweets, or um, if you're really, really, really bold, you might actually do a share of things that matter to you, right? And so. They might feel like you've made a contribution. I've made a difference in the world. I've liked somebody else's post about, I don't know, armadillos in danger in the sub-Sahara. I don't know, whatever it is, okay? So you've liked this thing, and you think that you've made a contribution. And maybe it might get you props from your friends. Uh, It might signal to the world that you're the kind of person who supports worthy causes. But the truth is, it hasn't really cost you anything. And is this what Jesus had in mind when he talked about what it means to serve other people? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with giving a thumbs up to causes that we support. But service needs more than thumbs up. Service needs hands. Service needs feet. And service needs mouths. And people who are willing to go out and care for other people's needs and take on the world. Service ultimately costs. And slacktivism only takes you so far. So that's the first enemy. Here's the second enemy. Uh, Call it tokenism. Okay, tokenism. Tokenism is, is when we do just enough in order to appease a guilty conscience. You know, and most of us, we know we should help others. We know we should care for other people's needs, right? And, and so in order to avoid that inner twinge of guilt that we sometimes feel, we'll kind of do a tiny gesture, right, to appease our conscience and then feel good about ourselves. And so maybe we give our bottles to kids' sports team who shows up at our door or, I don't know, maybe, maybe we're at Sobeys and we give $2 in the checkout line uh, to help kids learn how to play chess and wobble them in whatever it is they're asking for, okay? Okay. Um, and let me tell you, you know, at the end of the day, there is, there is nothing wrong with these two gestures, uh, with these small gestures. Generosity should be a Jesus follower's natural instinct. Service should just naturally flow from us, okay? But the question is, are we just avoiding the twinge of guilt, or are we truly people who want to embody what it means to be a servant of the world? And, and I'll just be honest, I, I'm not immune to this pitfall, um, I'm just as fallen as the next guy, so... Please pray for your pastor that he would learn what it means to to live as a servant day by day. Jesus never served to appease a guilty conscience. Jesus served because it was in his nature to serve. And he saw the needs of the world and he gave himself up for it. Here's the final enemy of service. and And I think this is the biggie. The final ism is legalism. Legalism is, is it's essentially our attempt to gain God's favor by serving others. Okay, So it's when we falsely believe that somehow by doing good things for other people or our good deeds can earn us a right standing with God. So sometimes we'll, we'll serve other people because we just feel terrible about all the stuff we've done in our past. And so we're trying to balance the scales and, and we serve other people to make up for all the stupid things we've done. Or sometimes we serve other people because we're trying to coerce God into somehow helping us or doing something for us, okay? Legalism runs contrary to the gospel. See, the truth of the gospel is you cannot buy, you cannot barter, you cannot beg your way into God's favor. The scripture is very clear. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And the perfection that God requires could never be obtained through human effort. This is why Jesus came into the world. He lived the perfect life that you could never live. He died for the sins of the world so that you and I wouldn't have to. And through Christ, and only through Christ, do we have right standing with God. As the late Dallas Willard so famously said, grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. We don't serve to earn God's favor. We serve because we already have God's favor through Jesus Christ. So friends, uh, true service, is it's never tokenism, it's never slacktivism, it's never legalism. It is sacrificial love for others that ultimately is fueled by the sacrificial love of Jesus for us. And I wonder this morning, have you discovered that for yourself? Have you experienced Christ's love for yourself? And have you welcomed it in into your own life? And allowed it to change you and transform you from the inside out. Because this is ultimately the way that we can serve other people. All right, so that's the first observation. Here's the second observation. Maturity, maturity happens together. It happens together. Paul says in the text that complete maturity can only come about through unity. Take a look at verse 13. Paul says... That the body needs to be built up in what? In unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So, so maturity at the end of the day is actually a consequence of unity. Or put it another way, unity is a stepping stone towards maturity. So the church, we, the church, cannot become fully mature until we become fully mature together. And we do it together. And you see this in other places in the text. Let's, let's look again at verse 16. Here's what he says. He says, from him, from Jesus, the whole body, that's all of us, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and what? And builds itself up as each part does its work. So, so Paul, he's given, us a, he's given us a little bit of an anatomy lesson here this morning. He's reminding us that a healthy body, physical body, needs every part of it to grow Every, every muscle, every tendon, every ligament, every bone. See, the thing is, if, if certain parts of your body outgrow the others, then that's going to lead to uh, you know, all sorts of problems in your physical body. Um, athletes understand this. Athletes, um, in many sports, typically are doing the same muscle movements again and again and again. And because they're doing certain muscle movements again and again, certain muscles on their body grow and other muscles don't grow and what eventually happens is if they don't work on those other muscles or other ligaments in their body they run into all sorts of problems because those other ligaments even though they're not primarily being used they're still supporting the rest of the body and so if if they don't work on them what eventually happens is the body the body falls apart and this is why so many athletes uh, go into cross training and do other types of exercise and they do it ultimately to get rid of injury uh, to work on injury prevention to stop their bodies from falling apart we were meant, in the same way, a spiritual body, we were meant to grow together. And when we're not, it just seems very, very unnatural. We have unnatural bodies. So it's like a bodybuilder who constantly skips legs, right, on leg day, right? Huge upper body, but tiny little skinny little legs, right? Or it's like like those bodybuilders who inject oil into their biceps. Sure, they have Huge biceps, but you look at them, and do you ever look at them and say, they look so healthy, right? (laughs) That's the kind of body that ultimately I I, want to have. Well, no, what they are is they're they're disproportionate. There's something lopsided about the body. It's, It's not synchronous. It's not working all together. See, the truth is, friends, we're better together. We're better together. Interdependence trumps independence. Hands down, every time, as the body of Christ. The challenge with this, you know, when, I, when you say that, you know, that we're better together, is, is it kind of goes against the grain of our, our enlightened, individualistic culture and society. See, so much of our society that we live in encourages us to be the best, right? To, to rise to the top, to beat out the competition, to, to kind of shine brighter than everybody else, to be the top of your class, right? And, and in our culture, we tend to idolize self-made people, and we put them up on pedestals. And in fact, because of the fall of man, the tendency within us as human beings is to work against each other. It's not to work together. Because of the fall, when sin entered into the world, it it led to a disconnect between us, a division between us and God, but it also led to a disconnect between us and everybody else. And so our fallen nature, our our broken nature, is to tend to move towards independence, not towards interdependence. So, I mean, it's understandable. We, We can feel a little bit skeptical or hesitant when we hear somebody say, we're better together. We're better when we're working together than when we're working apart. So let me tell you about Professor Hugh Smith. Um, Professor Hugh Smith was an American scientist. He was exploring the jungles of Southeast Asia back in 1935. And late one night in a mangrove forest uh, at the edge of a river in this jungle, uh, Smith witnessed something that would make academic history. Okay, so as he was there in the middle of the night in the dark, suddenly the mangrove tree above him just lit up, boom, in a flash of light, and then it died down. He thought, well, that's fascinating. What is causing that? And then three seconds later, that tree lit up, and several other trees around it lit up exactly the same time, like a flash of light, like lightning. Boom! And then died down. And then a few seconds later, he looked uh, down the river, and he could see on both sides of the river, down the bank, for thousands of feet, all of a sudden, everything lit up exactly at the same time. Bah! And then it went out again. And he made this amazing scientific discovery that... uh, uh, at first, a lot of people questioned. He discovered what are called synchronous lightning bugs, synchronous lightning bugs. So as it turns out, the lightning was caused by millions of fireflies glowing precisely at the same time. And this was astounding to him, and it was astounding to a lot of people because people were fig- trying to figure out h- how is it that they all learn to light up together at the same time? And, and it was so amazing, you know, when he got back to the U.S., that a lot of the other scientists actually doubted his findings. They thought, this is just not even possible. I mean, how can all of those little fireflies stuck in the mangrove trees actually figure out how to light up at the same time? Because they can't see each other, right? They can't see each other, so how, how can that happen? I mean, they're not telepathic, so no, no, you couldn't have found this out. But what's, what's even more important is, why on earth would they do it? See, because this wasn't in the best interests of all the fireflies. Um, fireflies, as you will understand, don't really have much of a lifespan. They're not here on Earth for very long. Th- their life really consists of hatching, and then eating, and then mating, and then dying. Okay, that's all fireflies ultimately live for. And and it's the male fireflies that light up. And the reason why male fireflies light up is because they want to attract the ladies, right? They want to attract a future mate, right? This is their version of, I don't know, Tinder or whatever, okay? Uh, They just light up. So why would it be advantageous to a male firefly to light up at the exact same time as all the other male fireflies? Wouldn't a male firefly be, wouldn't it be better for him to be in the dark and be the only firefly who's lighting up? Wouldn't that be more advantageous to him? So it, it just seems completely nonsensical that they would choose to do this at the same time as far as mating patterns go, a bad way to attract the ladies. Well, eventually, uh, a number of other scientists went and saw what he had witnessed, and they, his, you know, his findings were accepted. But it was many years later, not long ago, that two other scientists, Moisef and Copeland, they discovered something really interesting about firefly mating patterns. And I know you're so glad you came this morning just to discover this truth. (laughs) They discovered that a single firefly in the jungle, all by itself, way back in the mangrove forest, when it lit up by itself, it had a 3% chance of attracting a mate. 3%. But they also discovered is that when synchronous fireflies lit up all together, they had an 82% chance of attracting a mate. And the lesson that we can take away from that is that every firefly needs its wingman, right? (laughs) No, that's not the lesson. The lesson is, what it really shows us is at the end of the day, we're better together. Interdependence is way better than independence. And let me say this, our culture believes that it's better for you to be the only bright light that's out there, that we were made to shine as individuals, that we were never meant to be a bright light amidst the sea of other bright lights. But the real truth is we were made in the image of God, and God by his very nature is community. The mysterious trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living together in perfect community throughout eternity. We were made for community because we were made in the image of God. And as God's image bearers, we were meant to be together. So when we help other people, we are better for it. And if we can learn to coordinate and collaborate with others, everybody wins. In other words, when we help other people shine... We will shine all the brighter together. And friends, Jesus wants us to shine. He wants to mature us. We must adult. And this only happens through service. And it happens when we do it together. And so cross point with all our hearts. We want to become like Jesus in every way. We want to become a community of servants where everybody leans in, where everybody builds together. And so today, I just want us to consider, and I want to ask you, can we lean into service together? Will you do your part in building up the body of Christ? And how do we do that? Well, essentially, there's two general categories, two general ways that we can... Lean into service together and do this together there 's the organized way and there 's the organic way um, and both of them matter, but let me first talk about the organized way. organized service is is essentially where we volunteer our time and talents to build up the local church. It means where we we together we commit to serve one another on a regular basis on one of our teams or or maybe in a particular role here at crosspoint and Let me just say this that <laughs> You know, that on any given week, like I, even this week, I, I found myself doing this. But I, I'm just, I'm blown away by the number of people who are serving with Crosspoint. I mean, you teach, you cook, you lead, you build, you administrate, you pray, you clean, you use your artistic gifts, you, you make beautiful music, and you do it joyfully. You do it selflessly. And because of it, we're all better for it. So I just want to say, you know, thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that you do. And because of you, God is building a beautiful body that looks more and more like Jesus every day. And ultimately, is, it's making an impact in the world. But I have to say this this morning, is we need more servants. We need more people who will take up the banner and say, yes, I am a servant in the body of Christ. Because we're growing and we're expanding. And, and we have plans coming in this fall. We've talked about this, of, of launching a second gathering to make room for more people to come and hear about Jesus and experience his life-transforming power. So I just want to ask you, if, if you're not currently involved in a serving role, would you consider leaning in with the rest of us, joining with us in serving with Crosspoint? In in the bulletin this morning, you'll notice there's a catalog there that gives you information about how you can serve. It's all self-explanatory. There are a lot of different roles in there and ways that we're looking at uh, getting people involved so we can serve together. But you might be here and you might say, you know, I've looked at that list and there's nothing really there that fits how I've been designed. Or it doesn't make the best use of the ways that I can contribute to Crosspoint. Hey, let me say this. Let's go for coffee. With myself or one of the other team members on our staff team, we'd love to sit down with you and discover together what is your best serve. What is the best way to use your gifts to build up the body of Christ? Um, So that's organized service. But there's also organic service. Organic service is not scheduled. It just happens when life happens. So organic service happens when we see somebody in need and we just come alongside and we help them. Someone needs encouragement, someone needs a truck, someone needs I don't, mentorship, someone needs, uh, I don't know, they're in a crisis. As it turns out, most needs in the body of Christ are, made, are actually met organically. They aren't met um, through organized uh, programming. But this kind of service, here's the thing, this kind of service, this organic service, it only comes about if we're paying attention. So it only happens when we actually invest in relationships with other people. When we get to know other people after the gathering. You know, and I I talked about this a few weeks ago, but I want to reinforce it again. You know, when we say, hey, get to know somebody or meet somebody who doesn't look like you, we take that very seriously because we want to build up the body of Christ so people can get to know each other. Uh, It happens when we practice hospitality, when we share meals with others. We, We say, you know, hey, let's go out for lunch or let's go for coffee. I'd like to get to know you more. It happens when we get onto the realm our online community. Because when you're on Realm, needs get posted all the time. And it's amazing. I, I You know, I'd need gets posted there, and I thought, oh, wow, who in the world is able to help with that? And all of a sudden, somebody comes alongside and helps them because they want to serve them. It's, it's amazing. And of course, needs really get met when we ultimately when we invest in home groups, and we're part of a, a connected community of disciples on mission together in ministry. Um, You cannot meet needs of other people if you don't know about their needs. And we cannot meet your needs if we don't know about your needs. So we're really trying to say, how can we get connected organically together? Now, both types of service are needed. Organic service is needed and organized uh, service is needed. But cross point, you know, at the end of the day, when we lean into service together in community, we look more and more like Jesus. And my heart and my desire is that we, the people of God, would shine. That we would light up like fireflies. And that we would make a, a, a difference in this community here, in the city of Edmonton, and to the ends of the earth. And this is only possible when we become the mature body of Jesus, serving together, serving each other. We must adult. We must mature. So let's do it together. Can we? Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you that uh, through Jesus, we have been adopted into your family. We have been placed as members in your body. And every member of that body matters. Every member has significance because of you. And Lord, we just acknowledge that you are the chief cornerstone we are not. You are the foundation on which we build, but you're also the head of the body. You're the one who leads, and we, we follow you in glad surrender in who you are and what you want to do. And so, Lord, we, uh, we pray that you would mature your body, that you would build it up. And God, you would show us how we can serve each other, both organically and organized Lord, and you put it on our hearts on how we can just follow you in just glad obedience in what you want to do in our church and in the world. So we just trust you with that. Praise you and we worship you, Jesus, our cornerstone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in northeast Edmonton, and you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, It's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.